Hello, folks. How are you this week? Thank you very much indeed for joining us for another episode of my podcast, Soundtracking. Hugely appreciate you taking the time, as we know there are so many brilliant options out there for you guys to listen to. Now, we're very happy because we've got a proper mate of the show, a proper friend of the show for this latest episode of Soundtracking, as Mr. Ben Wheatley returns for his fourth sitting. Oh, yeah. Four times, four times on this show. We love him. He was our first ever guest. He previously joined us to discuss High Rise, Free Fire, uh, Happy New Year, Colin Bursted. And this time around, he's here to talk about his take on Daphne du Maurier's Rebecca from a screenplay by Jane Goldman, Joe Shrapnel and Anna Waterhouse. And if you haven't seen it yet, well, you can watch it right now on Netflix. It's brilliant. I loved it. Rebecca sees Ben reunited with composer Clint Mansell, who's also provided the scores for High Rise and Colin. And it's with one of Clint's cues that we begin. Last night, I dreamt I went to Mandalay again. Listen, congratulations on this film. I mean, we we spoke about it last night with a couple of your cast, and I just love how you've said this in the past about how you you kind of deliberately do a kind of right turn into what you do next sort of thing. And uh, what what was the appeal for you with Rebecca? If you don't mind, just talking about why you wanted to give us your version of this, you know, Daphne du Maurier story. Which, I mean, her her book's got so much so much to tell, and how you found your story within that. Yeah, I think it's from a lot. It starts in a lot of different places. There's all these things as, as projects usually do. But it was kind of uh, when I was, I was doing some work at Working Title and they were um, developing a few things and they kind of they said they had a they'd been working on a version of Rebecca for a while. And would I like to read the script? And I was like, oh, well, yeah, I, I guess. I mean, it's a very it felt very kind of left of field for me. Um, and that immediately attracted me to it, you know, and I, and I thought and for a while I've been after the Colin Bursted film, which was a was a, a major landmark for me because no one died in it. You know, I was quite excited about that, and um, and it's part of a kind of an ongoing project to kind of, as much as I love genre, and I've just made another another horror film, but just 
I wanted to make some stuff that was outside of kind of horror or outside of anything too kind of uh, uh, murdery. So it's kind of. <laughs> <laughs> but then it was the, the new genre film. Yeah, yeah. There's, well, you know, there's so many genres. I like the, I like people in rooms. That's a genre, isn't it? That you get quite a lot. Just people talking in rooms. Um, but you know, and I, and I thought there was a lot of stuff in it that I really enjoyed. Uh, you know, a lot of um, emotional content to it, and kind of a heartfelt emotion. And what I really liked about the script as well was it was non-ironic. It wasn't smirky and winking at the audience. It was. You know, and it had all those qualities that those old Hollywood movies had. You know, it wasn't ashamed about being entertaining and it would it wanted to take you somewhere, grab you. It's going to go, all right, we're going on holiday and now we're now we're going over to this big house. And now we're, you know, we're going to go through all these emotions and ups and downs and, and travel through it. And I thought that was that was great. And that's and it, and it kind of made me think about why I love cinema in the first place. You know, I was, I was like, oh, well, that kind of big emotional Hollywood style. That was the kind of the beginning of it. And then I think it was looking at the De Maurier book and kind of that idea of like her almost tricking her own audience and kind of going like, oh, oh, you want me to write a romance novel? OK, well, this is what my idea of a romance novel is. And now I'm going to drag you somewhere really dark and you thought you were along for this ride, but actually you're going on this ride, which is something that appealed to me from the other films I'd made. You know, it's like. Yes, yeah, like sightseers as a great example. You really, know, like, I think the film is really like sightseers. To be honest. <laughs> it's the same structure as sightseers in the same way that sightseers is the same as kill this, which is a couple driving around killing people. You know, <laughs> but uh, this is more the structure of sightseers, which I like in this is that it's a man and he goes, "Oh, come with me, innocent woman," and then the woman becomes much more powerful and more interesting than the man. You know, and I think that's the it's very similar in those respects. And that honestly, it's something I didn't spot until halfway through making it. And I kind of started chuckling and going, oh, God, yeah, it's sightseers. That's funny. But it's, um, you know, and I think I'm, I'm kind of attracted to the idea of like, like the weak, the weak man and the and, and the woman who sees the weakness in the man and kind of moves. That's a, that's a trope I enjoy a lot. And I think I have that in a lot of the films I've made, you know. I think Jane's script's just really interesting as well in terms of what she's pulled out. And, you know, we've got this this kind of um, version from 1940, obviously, with Hitchcock and stuff, but this is a very different film. And and also it's really interesting to look at what you've kind of focused on and also what Jane's focused on with the script as well in terms of the, the nuances and the su- very kind of subtle differences as well of focus. Yeah, and a lot of that comes down to, I think one of the major things that Jane did with the script was kind of, well, apart from being truer and closer to the book, which is there's like a major thing that's missing from the, the Hitchcock version which is a major plot point which is just brushed over in that movie and like and the and it's the whole book basically you know without that you haven't really got the book yeah and, and so she did that and I can understand why people were afraid of it because it's quite it, it's very moody in terms of the morals of the film suddenly flip upside down and and you can imagine why that you know in the 40s they would have been scared of that in terms of mm. what their audience could say or even just the Hayes Code itself probably wouldn't have allowed it you know but then the other thing that, that was really interesting was that was how she sorted out the ending of the film as well and, and what the final act was going to be and how uh, the second Mrs. De Winter character becomes um, much more involved in the story, you know, and I think that yeah. that that was really good. And, and it was some really smart stuff in that 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 really made that that end sing for me. And I was like, oh, right, God, this is this is great, because I remember the, the and it works really well in the book, but it's not something that could work in a film. It kind of just tails out with them. I think they go to Pinner, don't they, and just hang around in Pinner for a bit. <laughs> they bump into Pavel and he goes, oh, I guess that's the end then. And they, all right, see you later. 
pinner. I know it's 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 very <laughs> it's the um, end of the metropolitan line for God's sake or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> They're probably still building it. Then. No, yeah, it would have been. Yeah, but it's very very cinematic. So that stuff was good. But it's also that that the general line, and it was a thing we talked about a lot. Is like how much of the idea that she's really weak would work. So there's that there's an area there which is like how much does it work with a modern audience where you're just you know we're always really aware of like the conversation that you have when you're looking at the looking at the screen and you're kind of um you're kind of going what why what are you doing why are you doing it when will you stop doing that you know and like and if you're having the conversation all the time which is just leave him leave him why don't you leave him what are you doing and I think there's that the kind of calibrating of that across the script was really great but you know um but the other thing is like whether whether or not uh, a word-for-word adaptation of the book is right in itself you know that it's do you believe everything that she's saying? And that, and I don't, you know, I don't, because it's all from her point of view. It's all very self-serving in terms of how winsome and pathetic she is. But is she, is she that pathetic? Because her actions seem to be not the actions of someone who's really weak and full of doubt. They seem to be someone who knows exactly what they're doing. And yet they're kind of couched in this way that they're not. So I think the marriage between, you know, what a book is and what a film is, is that is where kind of Jane's had to really struggle with all that stuff, you know, and make it and fix it. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a, it's a brilliant job. Music on this film. Um, I've been, I spent the whole morning just listening to Clint's score. It's incredible. It's so, it's, it's lovely luxury to get to remove the music from the film to just listen to it as well. in terms of you know you two have obviously got this brilliant relationship with the number of films that you've worked on but I think what's great is that with that right or left hand turn that you make you make him do the same thing as well and I think that this is a very different score for for Clint in a really brilliant way I I absolutely love it I think that I don't know whether it's a confidence that you instill in each other or whatever but I think that this is just an absolutely stunning piece of work yeah I mean I uh, the conversation we had really early on was that, that, was that it was just going to be huge, you know, and that it was going to be music like from the beginning to the end. And I think it's like I think the film's two out, just under, just over two hours, and the and the score is ninety minutes. So it's mostly mostly Clint music across the whole thing. And it was 
going towards an idea of using underscore, which we'd never, I'd never, I'd always been a bit sniffy about underscore. I don't know what it was. I didn't really understand it. I don't think, or I was worried about using it. You know. Yeah. But I think I think what I tell you what it was is probably it's a it's a respect for the composer that I felt that it was a bit bad form to turn the music down low underneath drama and I thought that was a bit shitty and it's like and I know that I've like listened to some of my favorite soundtracks I've like listened to and gone oh god I don't know any of this stuff it must have been mixed really low in the thing and it often is and you go god this is the best music ever in it and you can imagine the composer going that was the best music ever now it's lost on the thing and if you listen to the other films the, the music tends to be quite high or not you get big bits of music or you just and we certainly did that in in high rise there's a lot of music that's really front of house and then and there's no real kind of mood music or kind of emotional music underneath so anyway that was a big that was a big change got into it you know and, and and Clint had been doing a lot of demos this one he'd kind of had about three or four months worth of demos while we were making the movie so when we came to it when we came to edit it it wasn't like suddenly waiting for it it was suddenly all there and the suites of music had been kind of created so it was more of an ongoing process than a than a, I'll watch the edit and then and then go into it um, which was a different way of working again than we've, we've had before but yeah I mean I, the actual process of it was very similar you know which is just I suppose it was it was more relaxed than maybe high rise was because we'd worked together before so I knew that on high rise there was like a a much more of a gap between the the demos and the final piece Mm -hmm. and I was like kind of like oh I know it's Clint so it's gonna be fine but how how much of this demo is the real you know how much of it's going to be real and how much of it's going to sound like that yeah it was much more I could listen to and go well I know exactly what this is I, I know what the gap is between demo and final piece now so that was that was easier and less slightly less like stressful. did he come on board with this it was very early on yeah i mean it had to be because of the way that the um the film was put together so with the financing it was all everybody was in place for that so it was right right from the very beginning so you know obviously we just come off of the the colin bursted film as well so that that kind of it, it kind of dovetailed in 
from from that one. I am. Um, it was really interesting because I listened. I, I went back and watched the 1940 film with Franz Waxman's score, and it's really interesting because it's it's almost too much in a way in terms of I, I found it slightly. Oh, sorry. I found it slightly kind of intrusive to the story in a way. It kind of, it's. I mean, it's beautiful and brilliant and and powerful in places, but it was almost kind of like shh. You know, it's like almost like too much noise in a way. And I think that the way that you've the, the tone that you've got with this with the, with Clint's music, also the 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 kind of needle drop that reprises as well, is is so clever and really kind of powerful as well. Well, I think I think with the the Fran the the original soundtrack, the Waxman stuff, it's like I think those movies they're allowed to do that. They do mm. that's the style, and it's kind of and it's the same with the pace of stuff and all that. You have to you really have to relax into it in terms of the periodness of it. But we made a decision early on that we. Obviously, but both of us are big Herman fans as well, and we mm. listen to, listen to a lot of Herman. But you don't want to, you, you can't do a pastiche because as soon as you do that, it really screws the film. It's very very odd. I remember when we were, John Amos and I were editing the film, we'd put bits of Herman over it and go, "Oh God, it sounds great," but it but it sound it's another film, you know, and it's another time, and and you're you're living in this moment now, you know, and you can't you can't really look backwards like that or even go into the into those structures because it just yeah. does it just doesn't work anymore and I've seen modern stuff that does that and it kind of it sounds great for the first like five minutes and then you start going oh man this is this doesn't know what it is anymore mm-hmm. and, I, and I and I think that was a a big thing but you know at the same time you can appreciate what they're doing but you have to then filter it and make, make a new version of it in a way you know yeah not that he needs to be cemented as a as a genius in terms of composing but I think that there is something really brilliantly special about this score and the track even I mean straight in track two I think um apologies for my bad pronunciation and Scottish people doing accents and foreign words is really bad so in I mean I don't know what it is but you that is need to help you come on Ben <laughs> <I can't do laughs> it. it's track two on the soundtrack basically yeah. after last night I dreamt um and uh, before Cote d'Azur yeah. but um that is a stunning piece of music Oh, I kind of just went back and listened to it again and again and again. It totally blew my mind. saying about basically the two of us having to go out onto the lake and and everybody Laurie Rose as well you know oh, uh, cinematographer I mean, this is a very different film for him as well you know but we had to go you know we it was being pushed right out out there and kind of and I, but I think that's the fun of it you know yeah otherwise you just end up doing the same thing again and again and and uh, but I think it's part of the package of like of loving cinema in general you know you've got to you've got to go to all these places or at least try to you know because I think that I don't just like one type of cinema. I'm not, I'm, you know, I'm not just a very specific genre lover of type yeah. of movies. I love all sorts of movies. And 
it's um it's, it's one of the great joys of being able to work is to get to do those things you know there's even like really cleverly specific bits of like when she has the um the hairbrush and she's pulling the hairs and and even just the 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 it's a brilliant way that music and pictures kind of work in synergy and they can almost, you know, it's like a chemical reaction almost in a way and stuff. And that, that bit kind of really stayed with me as well. And the use of the specific piece of music while she's pulls these hairs out of that hairbrush, it's kind of, it's like chills go down your back. It's Yeah. And then it's like all the different uses of odd instruments as well on top of stuff. I mean, I went, I, I, I went to one of the recordings at air, um, and then the rest of it, I did all down down the line like this, which was really in, was interesting in itself. But just to hear it go for the demos and then suddenly it just expands out into the into the real sound, you know, then to go to the mix and mix that through as well. It, it's it's extraordinary to hear it, really. And then the bit where she discovers the beach house and there's this it's almost like one note, but the tension that it kind of builds and creates is just it's so perfect. I mean, I really want to listen to the to the soundtrack album, which I haven't heard yet. I know they've mixed it down or they've, they've done the selects for it, but it's. I know that I had a very different relationship with the High Rise soundtrack after after the film. Yeah. You know, and I started to listen to it without the film on and and enjoyed it as a thing <laughs> on its own. You know, and in this, it's like it's almost like I was talking to Clint the other day, and he was going, he's saying when they were doing the selects, they kind of he'd forgotten he'd done bits of it. You know, because there was so much and it was all it was all so intense to do it all, and I think that coming to terms with the music is something that's a thing that happens afterwards in a way in a lot. Yeah. Obviously it's a, a period piece and, you know, it's set in a specific time, kind of. There is obviously stylish and you can kind of, you know, you get an idea of the time around that as well, but the music's really clever in that it's not specific to an era, so to speak. There's quite a lot of contemporary sounding bits of music that don't jar with it, but that just kind of, I don't know, they give it a real timelessness weirdly in a way yeah i mean i think that was part of the not tying it down too much to a um a pastiche sound i think that was really important i mean even though we use needle drops and bits i mean there's bits of django in there as well yeah. 
and then that big pentangle track as well. But it, it's kind of, I think the Klimt side of it, I wanted that to feel modern, you know, and it's shot in a modern way and it's in it and it has a modern look to it. So there, it would have, it would have jarred, I think, if it had been too period specific. Yeah. I mean, but then again, I'm not, I'm not averse to like using completely the wrong period for stuff, but yeah. I didn't want to use a specific period that that 30s E thing. And then, you know, we looked at lots of um, contemporary, uh, modern classical and stuff like that of the period and which is wild you know yeah. too wild for, <laughs> for the soundtrack of a movie you know <laughs> but, um, it's uh you know but the other end of it is that you want it to you want it to have that kind of Clint emotion underneath it as well no matter how how well how the music is structured you know talk a little bit about those kind of needle drops you know you mentioned the the um pentangle track and also jangle were they were they your choices were you and also because the the there's a couple of jangle bit then the pentangle track comes back in a couple of different points as well and then there's also a a cover of it by a cameo <laughs> in the film i don't want to give it away because i almost kind of want it to be like an easter egg in the film that's, you know not, I mean? that's not a ca- that's not a cover it's a different song it's um Oh, is it? I thought yeah, it was yeah. Awesome. It's um, but yeah. I mean, I think that the the pentangle track was something that when John Amos and I were editing, we were just messing about, and we'd be using lots of different music across it. And you, and I had I'd pulled a lot of stuff. You know, I had yeah a lot of I'd like like Cornish um, folk songs and fishing songs and all kinds of manner of of, of stuff that we were throwing about and looking at. And uh, the pentangle track was it is a. A traditional track so it's not an original track by them but an arrangement by them mm-hmm. and it was one of those things you, I just put it on and then it just never never went you know because it was so great and we we look at John I'm looking at going well, where we, we get away with this this is pretty it's quite it's quite a strong flavor and um, but then it, it seemed to get past everybody and I was really surprised by that because it's you know it, there was something about it you know about the, that, that moment in the film of like transporting us back it was coming when you come back from the south of France to to England and and part of that translation was you know from going from the bright kind of sunlight of France to the verdant green of of, of British countryside you know enter the house yeah. but it's also that kind of turning of the knob of the nut of the of the mood you know and it's kind of oh it's great everyone's cheery oh god the lyrics aren't that cheery oh no I listen to it that's quite bad and it's like an omen of like what's what's coming up you know and then it ends with Danvers turning up which I think is great and it has that kind of weird like 
on the soundtrack as as Kristen Scott Thomas <laughs> yeah. the frame, which um which is terrific, you know. And and I think that's the you know obviously I've I've got a soft spot for for British folk anyway, um and don't need much of an excuse to put it into movies, but that but it did it did seem to fit really really well that one. I like that it's been on the whole journey. I'm here and I'm staying. You're not taking me yeah, out. Yeah. I like, I like that about it. It's similar to the Chernobyl track in Field in England had the same, the Blank Mass track had the same, yeah. uh, the same thing where it just went in once and it never could, you could never get it out once it was in. It was it was like a like a limpet, like stuck to the film. You couldn't couldn't move it, you know. Ben did an amazing score for Calm With Horses. I don't know if you saw that film oh, or heard. Oh, it's it's he's done an amazing job with that. Wow, it's a really, really great piece of score as well. I, I did mention the the cameos there as well, but I kind of don't want to talk about it because it's those things are kind of like little Well, it's tiny as well. He's he's making it much bigger than it is. <laughs> I mean, he makes an impression though, that's the thing. Do you know what I mean? He's only on screen for about what 30 seconds, if that, oh, but it's lovely. like five. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was just part again it was part of it was part of an idea of like the film within the film you know like there's, yeah. there's a whole life of things that are going on in Mandalay of 
the house and yeah. it's not just a story about posh folk and their kind of troubles you know the, the, <laughs> yeah. and this is what I find really difficult about you you know dramas about with people with servants and stuff and you think well you know there's been all this stuff which is like this kind of revisionist stuff which goes oh yeah everyone was really chummy in the past and everyone talked to each other and and it's just not true is it you know and, and it's kind of that it was horrible yeah in these houses I don't care what anyone says and like so that the idea that there would be this kind of they've got their songs and there's other songs that are going on underneath the, underneath the film almost that are kind of older and and that there's other opinions you know and it's not just that you know this shiny lovely life of, of of people who are having a terribly awful time you know about their looking after their massive estate oh what a night yeah you know, it's, uh... <laughs> but even like with you saying that the choice of person as the cameo is even brilliant considering you know his his art and how he's you know what he talks about and stuff it's it's perfect yeah well i always thought that they're they're it's difficult talking about it without saying it. <laughs> yeah. I always thought their music's quite like um answers on a postcard, folks. <laughs> <laughs> it was very it's very folky, you know. Yeah. You know, it's modern folk. It's like you know. folk, punk folk, isn't it? Really? Yeah. It's brilliant. What's what's next? Are you are you, have you is this because I know you mentioned to me the other day about um something that you and Clint were working on um together. I don't know if you've talked about it, and I can take this out if you don't want it in here anyway. But I got sent a little video of mm. of Clint with a pot plant. <laughs> like he had some kind of, you know, those pads you put on yourself to check if you, you know, your heart rate and stuff, ECG pads, or whatever, attached to a pot plant. I yeah, it. was it attached to a moog? Yeah, what is it called? Um, a oh god, I knew what it was. It's a special kind of um, widget thing that plugs into plants, so you can listen to them sing. No. So you touch their leaves and they go. <laughs> so there's a big soundtrack that's all like that, screaming, <gasps> screaming plants and stuff. That, why did I not know about this? This is amazing. I'm going straight on Amazon to try and buy you some so I can <laughs> record my What's garden. Oh god, yeah. There's a special. Um, there's a, there's a special thing you can buy, yeah, and it, and you plug it straight into a synth. So it's for a horror film that we've been doing. And, and it's a massive synth soundtrack, basically. So it's like that stuff is half of it. Then he's been using this synth called a Lyra. So there's <laughs> lots of Lyra-based music in it and then other more kind of um, Moog and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, it's very exciting. So that one was like we, we shot the film. Oh, we you've were, shot already? Yeah, 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 we did it already. We were going to go and shoot it. And like two days before we started shooting it, the soundtrack turned up from Clint. So it was like, oh, my God. And it was like 45 minutes worth of music. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is amazing. And so we, I shot it and edited it to the music as we <gasps> as we did it. And it's been fantastic. But this is the kind of world where you don't, you know, in this, in Rebecca world, obviously, Clint doesn't have an orchestra hanging around his house to bang out the demos. So it, they, <laughs> they go through a kind of synthy world before they become the proper score. But in this thing, it's like straight straight from his fingers straight to the film you know so that's very exciting and i love the idea that you shot to it as well that's amazing yeah i mean we well we, you know with, with, the, with the essence of it in mind i guess yeah 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 and like each night i'd be editing it and everyone would sit around and we'd have a few beers and kind of listen to it with the music we were staying in this hotel in henley which we'd got we bought the whole hotel out because to do the bubble and all that you know yeah and um people thought that there was near an airport 
because I was playing the sound so loud on the thing. And like five, six rooms down, people, they were just shaking in the room because of the sub bass was so massive. Well, when, when are those planes taking off from, you know? So. <laughs> oh, I love it. Has it got a name? Do we, have you, is it out there or not yet? No, not yet. It's, the okay. called, it's called the Growing Green, but it's, yeah, it's very early days with it yet. Okay. With, yeah. But it's shot. I mean, it's the, basically the first British film to be shot that's not like um, pickups or or a reshoot or whatever. So we, yeah. we we'd planned it very early on. So I'd kind of um, I started writing it like the second week of lockdown, so that wow. we'd get it ready for when things. And we managed to just get it at the bottom of the curve before it went up the other side. So we shot that, and then now we're just working on the post stuff. Really amazing. And Tomb Raider too. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's that's in the world, COVID world as well at the moment. So we're waiting. Oh, I can't wait to see what you do with that, though. I'm so <laughs> excited to see what you do with that. Um, listen, it's always a blooming treat to get to chat to you. And um, thanks so much for your time and also just all your support on this as well for coming back for a fourth visit. Well, I've been listening to a lot of the podcasts and I, I really enjoy them. I particularly like the uh, Invader one. That was Aww. an <laughs> and love the Meek Levy one's brilliant as well. I love I, all that. Yeah, yeah I got, I got. Uh, Jeff mentioned messaged me yesterday because I moved just to. I'm in Gloucestershire now, so he's just down the road in Bristol. Oh right, so we're right. trying to, we're trying to. What he's got some place he wants us to kind of meet up halfway, sort of thing. But um, they're amazing. Him and Reg, I just like you know what they're doing as well, and what they've done in that whole journey of their you know invading. Well, the story with the of Drive was brilliant, wasn't it? I loved all that. Oh, that's great. Looks at the credits at the end of just. <laughs> It comes from the heart, you know. It comes yeah. from proper fans and, and being like the into Mothersburg it. stuff as well. That was all Mothersburg stuff. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. that was really great. And I was getting the what's it? He gets the edit of um, uh, Pee Wee's Big Adventure and he goes, "Oh, this is rubbish because <laughs> it's got no music on it." So, <laughs> oh, so good. <laughs> oh, great to chat to you, Ben. Take care. I hope to see you soon. And massive congrats again on the film, mate. Yes, thank you. Lovely chat. Take yes. care. score to Rebecca. That's By Night She'd Come, rounding off this latest episode of Soundtracking with Mr Ben Wheatley. My huge thanks to Ben for taking the time to talk to us. 
for a fourth time. Uh, you can watch Rebecca right now on Netflix with Clint's incredible score available via our very good friends at Invader Records. I've already put my order in for the vinyl. Speaking of which, you can head to edithbowman.com to catch up with my chat with Jeff Barrow and Reg Weeks from the label, not to mention Clint, as well as all of our previous episodes with Ben. There are three others. Uh, please follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. We are at Soundtracking UK. And do also subscribe to our little YouTube channel for a regular show I put together as a companion piece to this podcast. In fact, you can see a short clip of Ben and I chatting about Rebecca and Clint's score on this week's show and also hear Django Django talk about not only their new music but also working with John McLean on Slow West. Next up, a couple of weeks ago, we were very lucky to go out into the big wide world, socially distanced, obviously, to take part in the London Podcast Festival at King's Place in London. And we were joined by none other than the fabulous Nick Frost. And you can hear our chat from the London Podcast Festival on next week's episode. I very much look forward to the pleasure of your company then. In the meantime, stay safe.